Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I'm Bob Kaler, your host. Welcome to 2023 and some new content for the podcast as we enter this crucial year in the life of the United Methodist Church and in the global Methodist Church. As part of our desire to bring you the best information we can give you about all things going on with United Methodist separation and the launch of the Global Methodist Church. We're bringing you a series of four webinars that we have conducted here in late January and early February of 2023. These four webinars are sponsored by the WCA Pathways Task Force, which is a task force that I have the honor to lead. Task Force is focused on helping churches and pastors who may be on the other side of things, not able to join the GMC just yet because their church did not vote for disaffiliation. They're wondering what's next, what are the next steps to take, dealing with grief, dealing with loss, considering what their future looks like. And so these four webinars were designed to help provide information. And the first webinar is on church starts and restarts. Our guest was Kenny Ott from the River Network. Kenny also serves on the WCA Pathways Task Force. He's got some great information in this webinar on thinking about starting new churches, what you need to consider, what are some of the cautions and encouragements around that. We had some great questions in the webinar, and this Information is going to be widely available. I hope that you'll share it with others who may be in this situation who are thinking about starting new churches. You don't have to do it big. You don't have to do it even in a paid capacity. You don't even have to do it with a pastor. There are a lot of different ways to do that. The River Network can help, and Kenny's going to give you some great information on how you can get connected and some things to think about. So give the webinar a listen. Welcome, everyone, to the WCA Pathways webinar. We're so glad you've joined us. We have a lot of people joining us online. And if you are joining us on the audio podcast that we're recording, you can always send your questions to us at wcapathways at gmail.com. We'll pass those along to the presenter. But I want to introduce to you tonight Kenny Ott from the River Network. So, Kenny, if you can unmute and join me. That would be fantastic. I think I've got it. All right. And just want to remind everyone to place your questions and things in the chat as we go through our webinar this evening. Well, Kenny, I want to invite you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with the River Network. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for inviting me to come and be a part of this. It's exciting and kind of exciting and uncertain times all at the same time. Um, so a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been a uh, in full-time ministry now for almost 23 years before that. I was actively involved as a lay pastor in some other churches and was part of, as a lay person, helped plan a church. Um as a part of that, and because of my heart for new church starts, um, in 2006, my wife and I were appointed to start a new church, and that was what we call a parachute drop, which means you literally start with nothing other than a lot of prayers and a little bit of money. Um, 
I'll tell you that that was the greatest thing, the hardest thing, and the most frustrating thing I've ever done in ministry. Um, but I uh, wouldn't have changed it for the world. Um, out of that frustration of being a church planter, um, I went and wanted to learn some new skills. Uh, one of them was learning how to effectively cast vision um, and to uh, be coached well. I had several experiences with coaches while I was planting a church that were very unsatisfactory. And I thought there's just got to be a better way to do this. So as a result of that, um, over the years, I have now become an advanced certified personal and executive coach with the College of Executive Coaching with a focus on coaching pastors and Christian business leaders. Um, I'm also a certified vision navigator and strategic planner with Oxano. All of that on top of uh, being Kathy's husband, Courtner uh, and Andy's uh, father, and Emma and Avery's grandfather, and pastor in the church at the same time. Um, last year, when I saw the announcement from the Global Methodist Church that they had partnered with the River Network um, to uh, start new churches, new faith communities, um, because of my heart for church plants and pastors, I contacted Steve Cordell, the founder and president of the River Network, and said I wanted to help. And so uh, went and had a conversation with him, and we did some praying about that together. And now five months later, I'm uh, the director of coaching for the River Network. So tell us a little bit about the River Network and its relationship with the Global Methodist Church and what some of the goals are for church planting in the Global Methodist Church. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's really exciting, actually. Um, the River Network and the Global Methodist Church formed a um, <coughs> excuse me, strategic partnership uh, to execute uh, the Global Methodist Church's church multiplication strategic plan. Uh, the goal is uh, to recapture early Methodism's uh, church planning impulse and that heart for starting new faith communities. And the way we uh, see doing that the best is by um, what we call catalyzing a whole network of apostolic leaders, people who want to reach new people for Jesus Christ, uh, who will start global Methodist churches that then in turn will start other global Methodist churches. Uh, numerically, our goal is to start more than 4% of the total number of GMCs per year. So, for example, um, if we had 2,000 um, global Methodist churches, then our goal would be to start 80 new Methodist churches per year. So it'll kind of be a rolling average. Uh, what the River Network does in that partnership is we help lay people and pastors uh, do four things. Uh, the first one is to discern the call to start a new church because it definitely needs to be a calling. Uh, secondly, um, we help them assess their gifts and their graces for church planning. Third, then we train the pastors and the lay people on the essentials of planning healthy churches and um, church multiplication and what that looks like is including different models of church planning. And then uh, the um, lasting portion of that, the follow-up is uh, to coach that pastor in those early formative years as that church is birthed and begins to grow. It's a lot to consider. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And our, our Pathways webinars are really focused and Kenny serves on the Pathways team. Uh, we have several members of the Pathways team on here. Uh, Bill Bowdle from West Ohio, who is 
really been uh, the the brains behind the operation in terms of managing all your emails and making sure everything gets uh, communicated properly. So I want to thank Bill publicly for all of his work and and making that happen. But as we developed these webinars, we wanted to make sure that we were talking specifically about issues that are affecting folks who are disaffected by a failed vote for disaffiliation. So let's talk about two scenarios that we're hearing about every day. The first scenario involves a pastor whose church did not vote for disaffiliation, but has a group of laity who wants to start a new global Methodist church. So what are some of the key things that pastors and laity need to consider before even proceeding down that road? It's not just as easy as walking out the door and walking into another building. Some people have done that, and it may work for a lot of folks, but one of the things that I would suggest is that it takes a little bit more planning than that. So what are some things that people need to consider, Kenny? Yeah. Um, I would say also those people that have done that, um, whew, they're taking on a big bite to chew. I'll put it that way. Um, well, you know, like any new church start, um, the first thing you do is pray. You got to spend some time in prayer about this. Um, if you're not called to start a church and your group doesn't feel called to uh, start a new faith community, uh, and not just move a faith community from one location to the other. Uh, I'd ask you to really deeply pray about that. Um, the whole purpose is to start a new faith community that reaches new people, not just transplant a church from one place to the other out of frustration. Uh, but like any new church start, uh, it's important to go through the assessment because not everybody has the gifts and graces to start new churches. Um, and we don't want to see anybody frustrated and burned out and uh, fail because of that. Uh, secondly, uh, to get some good training. Uh, there's some uh, essentials that are uh, absolutely um, important that you build into the DNA of your church. And then uh, don't walk by yourself. Um, one of the things I found out in planning a church that I know is essential is <clears throat> that you need an, uh, an objective voice. Um, someone who can come alongside you, who's walked the walk and can ask the right questions that increase um, the likelihood of that church plant being a success. Um, now, the River Network is uh, able to do those assessments, the training and the coaching. So to um, uh, make sure to contact them uh, when you're getting ready to start that. But specific to this situation, I think there's uh, two essential needs that we you need to really consider. Um, the first one is to allow space for people to grieve before you launch the new church. Um, I mean, all of us are grieving right now um, in every church of all that's going on within our denomination. And to uh, you need to allow space for those people to come and uh, grieve together, to process through that grief, just like you would any other loss and to provide a space for them to move from that grieving to a very healthy place and a strong uh, place spiritually as you begin that church planning journey. Um, that'll help people move on to that new future, but you got to do that first. And um, new people, it's important for us to understand this. If, if the whole goal of planning a new church is to reach new people, new people are not going to be drawn to a group that's already very cohesive this and especially people who have become uh, bonded together through grief and shared grief, 
that would be a very awkward situation for people to come into. So the, the first and most important thing I believe for any church, new start, church start to consider in our context now is to make sure you allow space for that grieving to happen. The second um, essential, I believe, is to renew your missional DNA. Um, every church has a DNA. Every church has existed for a reason. God has had those churches in the place that they are, and they've been there for as long as they have for a reason. But you need to renew that missional DNA. It's easy to lose it and forget why you're there. Um, And the people must not default to being what the previous church was, just with better theology. That would be the the, the, um, easy thing and, and the thing that would people would probably be most drawn to is let's just start over again and do it the way we did it before. Um, So it's important that the team and the pastor especially understand their purpose for existing is to reach unchurched people and then to learn how to do that most effectively. Uh, One potential pathway to these is um, to do these essentials is to meet in groups rather than worshiping a worshiping congregation initially Maybe you want to spend the first several months with that core group and and just spend time processing your grief, uh, praying together, reading scripture together, uh, spending time together so that you're all in a good, healthy, spiritual place emotionally also before you start that new church. So give the, um, let all that conversation about the past to come out um, of the former church and then read and pray through the book of Acts. I mean, the book of Acts shows us a beautiful church that was born and is still just as valid uh, for us today. Um, and then finally, you know, seek God's vision for that new church. Every new church uh, and every church has a unique vision and a new co- unique calling and purpose. Uh, so let's don't just uh, transplant something that was, that may or may not have been healthy. Good stuff. And I think about pastors in this situation who've never planted a church the task seems really overwhelming. Mm. Most of us have never had to do that. We came, followed someone, and then, you know, someone's going to follow us is usually the case. What advice and training does the River Network specifically offer for those who are considering this? Mm -hmm. So first of all, um, you need to do the discernment uh, as the pastor or the lay person who's feeling this call to form a new community. So it's really spent a lot of time in prayer and discernment. Uh, Anybody at the River Network, any of our coaches, uh, Steve Cordell, our director, uh, any of us will be happy to talk with you about that, pray through that, um, and pray with you about that. Once you have discerned and feel that true calling, uh, then the next step is to have the assessment, um, to know that you have an apostolic fire inside of you to reach new people, And so we have a very good assessment that we use to help you understand your strengths and uh, your even weaknesses and places that you need to make sure you take care of and watch out for. And and this is Uh, not like a two page form either. This is, this is a very, I looked at it. It's a very extensive process that really gets at all of who you are as a, as a leader. In fact, we uh, on our website, you probably saw, uh, is that we recommend you set aside a half a day at least to uh, complete that assessment. And uh, then uh, one of us will look at that assessment and then discuss it with you. 
Um, if after that assessment, um, the calling is still there and you want to keep moving forward, then we're going to offer you some amazing good training. Um, one of those pieces of training is called Planting Healthy Churches that covers all of the essentials of a new church start to start well and grow well. And then um, we don't just leave you out there by yourself. You know, after you do the training, uh, we're, we're going to come along beside you. Part of the agreement with the Global Methodist Church with the River Network is that we will provide coaching for those uh, pastors for the first year at least and to help them uh, make sure they're making the right decisions and doing the right things and the best things within their context. So let's switch to the second scenario, and that is a group of laity who are leaving a United Methodist Church, but whose pastor is not coming with them. Mm -hmm. What does a group like this need to consider? And where would they get a pastor, a church planter? How is, how is that process going to work? Right. Well, um, I think it's, it's important to begin with a couple of key principles. Uh, one of them is that everything starts with leadership. Um, without a good leader, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be a, a pastor in those early stages, especially, but without a good leader or um, a church plant just can't take off. It just won't happen. There has to be somebody to help lead the group. Uh, you can gather as a group, but you need to pray for a leader, a point leader. Now that doesn't, like I said, have to be an ordained seminary graduate. Lay people can start new churches. Um, and what you would want to pray for and think over is who is it that is gifted and called to lead in this season? And then once you have that identified, uh, the next step is to contact the River Network and let us help walk with you through those next steps. So first of all, it, it has to begin uh, with a leader. That's really helpful. And I know down the road, there are a lot of different options for people to connect with clergy, but a lot mm -hmm. of that is happening at this point at the level of the uh, transitional conferences and things like that in the Global Methodist Church. Um, can you speak to that at all? I mean, I know we, we talked about that a little bit, but mm -hmm. you said some of the things you can't answer because a lot of those are going to be done within those temporary annual conferences until there's a convening conference. Right. Um, so, you know, the River Network, uh, what we're really, really good at is training, assessing, and coaching church planners. Uh, what we're not good at is those other pieces, those logistics of connecting people. And really, it wouldn't be our place to do that anyway. Um, I would say if uh, you're looking for a pastor, you're looking to form up a group, your first point of contact is either uh, your transitional conference advisory team or TCAT, or if you've already had a, a formed a provisional annual conference, to talk to the provisional annual conference leadership um, and then talk with them about the possibilities. Um, and of course, you know, as you form that core group, you know, you need to really take into consideration what model of church you're thinking about. It could be anything from uh, a house church uh, or a uh, the idea of we're going to launch large and um, go out and plan to have a, a huge worship service and attract 200 people. Uh, so you really need to think about what God's calling you in this season as you start that new church. Let's talk about funding, because that's always the next thing that comes up. How do we fund a new church plant? That is the perpetual question, I think, for church planters is funding. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of guidance can you give to those who are considering starting a new church but are concerned about funding? Well, it is definitely an issue. Um, some of that, I think, is because of what we've gotten used to, uh, some of the things we're most comfortable with. Um, but also know this, uh, God always makes a way. We were talking about that before the podcast start. God always makes a way. And the second thing I know after uh, over two decades of ministry is money always follows ministry. Um, we include in our training at the River Network uh, how to raise funds in a two-day seminar. So that's a part of it. Uh, and so we're helping or equip you to do that. Um, but there's what we're seeing. I've talked with, um, I think, seven uh, potential new church start planter pastors in the last three weeks, and all seven of them are bivocational. They weren't before, but now they are. And because they've realized that um, what God's called them to is something brand new and different. And these uh, men and women are willing to do what it takes to make that happen. And uh, for instance, I talked to one uh, pastor who's uh, just gotten on at the post office. He works a 40 hour job at the post office and is planting a church. So I think we're going to, uh, if you if your mind is wrapped around, I have to be a full-time paid pastor, you may be limiting yourself. So when it comes to funding, I think we're really going to have to um, maybe go back to some of the old uh, book of Acts in the new Testament kind of stuff of uh, some of us may end up being tent makers while we're starting churches at the same time. Yeah, and that's a that's a reality that we have to deal with. We've come from a system where things were provided, there was a lot of resourcing. So it's a new day and we have to start thinking in in new ways. I want to shift gears just a minute and talk about restarts. So another scenario might involve a church that votes for disaffiliation, leaves the United Methodist Church, but is now faced with a lot of change. In some ways that feels like starting a new church. So can you give some advice to those who would be in that situation, how they go about reinventing themselves as a new global Methodist church? Principles, I think, would a lot be the same with the plant, would they not? A lot of them would. Um, I think the way you um, use those or you institute those uh, different strategies might be slightly different because if you're doing a church restart, you're by necessity bringing some DNA with you from the previous church. And and you have to understand that and uh, be willing to uh, work with it and use it in its best, most powerful way. So one of the first things I would say is it would be important for anyone who's doing this to (laughs) understand that going to a a new denomination is an opportunity to do something brand new. It's for a, it's an opportunity for a new inflection of a church's ministry. So it would be a shame to lose that and to just say, well, we're going to go from being church A in this denomination to being church A.1 in this denomination. I think that would be just a crime. Um, however, it is a, a new church start. There are some pre-existing his, history. There's pre-existing values. There's culture. And uh, I believe it was Peter Drucker who said, culture just eats strategy for breakfast. So if you're not willing to uh, accept the culture and deal with it and help change it, then um, you'd ultimately end up failing. But there are some key points, I think, 
that every one of us would need to remember and some things that we teach. Um, I'll share just a couple of those. Uh, one of them is whenever you're reestablishing a culture, missional focus has to be essential. You have to understand what your mission is. Um, and mission is very unique in every context. The denomination has a mission statement and it's a great one, but how is that lived out in your context? So changing culture is not easy, but it is possible. And so you have to understand your context and make sure that it's all based on solid biblical principles. Um, the second thing I would say is um, everything rises and falls on leadership. It might've been John Maxwell or somebody else that said that he might not have been the first, um, but everything does rise and fall on leadership. But also understand that leadership is a 50 50 effort between the pastor and the lay leadership. But at the same time, understand the pastor has to be the one driving it. Um, the second or the third thing I think I would share that uh, I've learned and seen uh, in many ways, the church I serve now, we were almost a restart in one particular uh, aspect. But one of the things I've seen that I learned uh, from a guy named Todd Bolsinger is that uh, the job of a leader is to lead people into discomfort uh, and to lead them into discomfort at a rate that they can absorb. Because every church, including a new church, start has a DNA and transformative lasting change has to be a healthy adaptation of that DNA. So you need to ask yourself questions like, um, especially as you're doing this restart, what from the past needs to be preserved and what needs to change. And we all have things that need to be changed. And then um, one of the keys I've discovered personally is to make sure that you connect future victories with past successes. And that just builds momentum. Um, fourth, I would think I would share that the job of leadership is change. Um, and I think the sweet spot of transformative change um, is where our competence as leaders, in other words, um, our spiritual life, are we healthy emotionally, spiritually, physically, so our competence, also our capacity for change, and then our relational trust, where those three things come together is the sweet spot of leadership that helps you bring about change. Um, so those are, well, you know, there's two more, I think, that are really important. Um, one of them is that healthy change um, doesn't come from the way we typically try to bring about change. The way we typically try to do change is fear, facts, or force, and it never works. Um, the way you bring about healthy change is through, first of all, relationships, and then um, repetition, stay consistent and stay on the course, and then reframing things. So to take something, shift it just a little bit, and make it work for your new context. And then... Um, Last, I know this is a lot, and I'd be happy to share, you know, notes with anybody. That, That's why uh, we're recording it. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing is, you know what? You got to push through the pushback, right? Because it's going to come. 
There are going to be people that are going to challenge things and push back. Uh, that might come from inside. It might come from outside. Um, and I think a leader, the, the important thing for a leader is always to remember that we're the thermostat, not the thermometer. We got to control the temperature, not let it control us. And uh, then we got to stay calm and, and just stay the course. So that's a lot. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, it's, it's, I get excited about it, as you can probably tell. No, that's great stuff. And it's clear your your coaching heart comes through in the midst of that. And I think anyone who's looking at planting a new church will be really well served by, uh, by you and your team on the River Network. Um, I want to ask just a couple of questions uh, before we go to questions from the audience. And for those who are joining us on the Zoom call Go ahead and place your questions in the chat, and we'll get to those as we go down the line here uh, in just a little bit. But kind of wrapping up here, Kenny, Mm -hmm. what are some final points of encouragement or points of caution that you might offer to those who are considering starting a new church? Well, I would say the encouragement, first of all, begins with – and I know so many, probably everybody on this this webinar knows what I mean when I say this is God really is doing a new thing. And it is exciting to be a part of that, even amongst all the contention and the strife and everything else that's going on. Um, at the river, one of the things we t- say is you can do it and we can help you. That's what we're here for is to serve you and help you do it. You can do it with God's power and you can do it with God's calling. Um, and there's nothing more exciting than making disciples and starting a new community of faithful, faithful Jesus followers. Um, I don't know that anything in the world is better than that. It all has to start with making disciples. Um, one of the things we hear often is people say they want to start a new church because they're going to uh, be a lot of disaffected United Methodist members in their areas. And they say, hey, this is the perfect time to start a new church. Um, and maybe those people who are looking for that new church are people that their church isn't disaffiliating. And so they're looking for something more. Um, now, while that's important to understand, um, it's also important uh, not to church start a new church just exclusively for those people. Uh, what I mean by that is if you gather this group of people who have left because their church didn't leave and you start a new church simply for them, then it's going to be real easy to be focused on them instead of making new disciples for Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of a new church start is to reach new people. And so uh, just that's just a point of caution, I think I would say. Um, the point is to start a church that's going to reach the lost, not just rearrange a denomination, right? And so when we start with a missional goal of reaching the lost, I think it's important to understand you may lose some of those initial core people uh, because some people, everybody leaves churches for different reasons. And sometimes those are healthy reasons. And sometimes those are not healthy reasons. So just let's be honest and face that reality. Um, But that's okay. Um, We believe God will lead people to the place they need to be. Um, Understand also, you're going to have a very different church when you start with reaching lost people. Uh, the church I planted, uh, we, uh, our goal was to reach completely unchurched people. And um, what you, one of the things you find out when you reach unchurched people is they act very unchurched. 
And so you have to adapt to that and disciple them in a way that meets them right where they are and helps them uh, grow in their faith. Um, One of the things I love about what's happening right now as us as Methodists is Methodism has always been a force uh, that has brought about people coming to know Christ. And, um, you know, John Wesley said, our job is to offer them Christ. So if you start with that, I think it's uh, it's a good start to get you going in the right direction. And then I guess last I would say, Bob, is take the time to pray for God's leading about this and make sure you have a burden for people in an area, not just I want to start a new church. But does God really place a burden on your heart for the people in that area that you feel called to? Then learn all you can, get get assessed, get trained, get coached, and uh, just watch what God's going to do. So tell us how people can get contacted, uh, get in connection with the the River Network. Yeah, um, the best and easiest way is our website. Um, that is, <coughs> excuse me, the River Network. Don't just put River Network. Yeah, that brings you. If you do that, that brings you up to some water conservation group in yeah. West Virginia or something. Yes. Yeah, and and they got a great mission. It's just yeah, it's out. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it is therivernetwork.org. Um, so we're happy to talk with you, uh, answer any questions that you have. You can get me. You can get Steve. You can um, contact Shana, who's our director of operations. And uh, we'll make sure we talk with you and help answer any questions you have. But also, uh, don't forget, I mean, our job is at the River Network is to train, assess, and coach. Um, make sure you're talking to your TCAT or your provisional conference leadership. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, our WCA is a great resource, too, to help us get information and make right decisions. You can find some of the connections for those TCATs on the Global Methodist Church website, Mm globalmethodist.org. Good stuff, Kenny. Let's go to some questions that we have here in the chat. So Steve asks, under what circumstances is it proper legal to move assets from an existing local UMC to a church plant fund for purposes of a new GMC church startup? Jay Therrell is on the call, who is an attorney, I think he would say, and Jay, you can back me up on this if you want to jump in. Don't do anything without an attorney, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It, <clears throat> sorry, I got a got a frog in my throat there. Uh, you definitely want to, before you do anything like that, uh, talk to an attorney and get some legal advice. The the It varies by jurisdiction and uh there's some other legalities involved. So please talk to counsel. Don't just do that. Good work. Okay. So um, another question, most new church starts are designed for the younger generation. Does your process include addressing an older generation? The process we use for starting a new church is not generational specific. However, I do believe it's important, uh, just like we're going through at my church right now, to always remember that our job is to pass the faith to the next generation. Um, So I guess what I would say in that is, um, hey, it's absolutely great to plant a new church with an older generation, as you would say. 
as long as they have a heart for continuing to pass on that faith, reaching new people. Next question. I'm a retired clergy in a situation of a failed church vote. It failed by a very small margin, and the local United Methodist Church is falling apart because the traditionalists have quit giving and many have left. I'm trying to minister to those who are grieving and looking for a fresh start. They are not worshiping anywhere, and we are meeting monthly. What would you recommend we do to meet the worship needs until we are further down the road to a potential church plant? No, um, I believe that you are dead on. You're meeting to grieve. I would say go through that grieving process. Give people space to grieve their loss. Then as you processing that um, and finding healing, pray for one another, ask God to heal your broken hearts, right? Um, Then go back to the scripture. The book of Acts is very clear about what a healthy church is. Go back and study that together. Um, spend some, uh, there's no reason not to worship. It may not look like it would be on your typical Sunday morning in your typical church, but, uh, you know, I've worshiped with a group of people sitting in a living room and we'd play, uh, a CD and we'd just all sing along with it. And then we would spend time, uh, sharing testimonies or at doing prayer requests. So worship can take a lot of different forms. Don't let just what you have traditionally done on Sunday morning to limit the way you would worship together. Got a question about a workshop that you all are doing in Dallas in February. Can you fill people in on that? Yes. Um, That is the planning healthy churches uh, workshop. Now our assumption would be that at this point, by the time you come there, you have spent some time discerning and praying over that if you feel called. There, however, will be elements of discernment as a part of that workshop. And especially there'll be space to talk with. I'll be at that, <coughs> excuse me, that workshop in Dallas in February. Um, also, just uh, FYI, we've just uh, secured some dates for a workshop in Atlanta. That'll be in uh, May 17th and 18th, I believe. Those dates are on the website right now. Um, but yeah, discernment will be a part of it, but don't wait to get to the workshop to begin the discernment process. Another question about legal stuff. Is there a need to establish a nonprofit entity along with supporting process that the IRS might require? Where does that fall into the church planting process? Oh, I may have to defer to Jay or somebody else on this one. Um, sure. Um, so I, I would say to you, friends, yes, at some point, you're, of course, going to want to incorporate uh, for for multiple reasons. One of them would be liability reasons. One of them would be to receive tax exempt status through your state uh, f- from sales tax exemption, those sorts of things. Um, you do not. Churches are automatically exempt under the Internal Revenue Code. Uh, as far as 501c3 purposes go. So you do not have to file uh, for that. Uh, The Global Methodist Church has filed for a group ruling under the Internal Revenue Code. The IRS stopped processing those applications back during the pandemic and has not been processing them still. (laughs) So uh, it's sitting in a queue on some desk in an IRS office somewhere. Uh, And when the IRS decides it's going to start 
doing those, you know, that'll come. But regardless, churches that are worshiping entities are automatically exempt under the Internal Revenue Code. Thank you, Jay. Our supplementary guest this evening, Jay Therrell, president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Uh, Another question here. How much does it cost to get help from the River Network? Very pragmatic question. Whoever answered that, I love you to death. Um, Because I'm the director of coaching, I'll have to apologize and tell you, I don't currently know the cost of the, um, the seminars or the workshops. That is published, though, on the website. It is really inexpensive. Um, it will cost you more to get to the site. It's not in your home, your hometown than it will to go to the workshop itself. So the workshop is one piece of it. Um, the second piece is the coaching piece. Um, currently, uh, if you want individual coaching, <coughs> our um, rate is uh, $195 a month, and that's for one year. Um, So we encourage people right off the bat when you're starting a new church um, to go ahead and build that into your budget. Um, When you start adding it up, it's really not as expensive as you think it is in the big scheme of things. Um, And as a church planter myself, I can tell you there's a very good likelihood you have somebody already who's interested in your church start that might would underwrite that cost for you for that first year anyway. Um, but all that being said, let me tell you, cost is never going to stop us from helping somebody start a new church. We'd want to talk to you about that. It may look a little bit different than the normal process. And um, while I can't offer any particular details right now, we are working some strategic partnerships with some different people. And uh, we may be able to make that cost look a little different in the future. But uh, don't let any kind of numbers stop you from talking to us and figuring out a good way to move forward. We have a comment here. Kenny's emphasis on honest discernment and mission clarity are spot on. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, I am called to plant really is called to plant. <laughs> I see an amen there. Yes. <laughs> Very true. Um, question here is every church joining the GMC considered a restart or a replant? I guess that would be a subjective question, actually, or a subjective answer. Um, I can't tell you the way the GMC would categorize those. I would go back to an earlier comment that if you did not take this opportunity to remission your church, I think it's a wasted opportunity. Um, I think any church that says, we're going to go out and change the sign on the front and put a new sign up and everything's going to be the same. I just think that's, <laughs> I think that's very short-sighted um, and you're not taking great advantages of um, what God could do. So uh, I guess my answer is uh, I would want the leadership to have the mindset that it's a remissioning of the church. Does that make sense? That's a great way of putting it, a remissioning of the church rather than a restart or a replant. I like that mm-hmm. terminology. It really gets you thinking about what your what your purpose is. Yeah. There's going to be change in congregations no matter what decisions that they make. And those changes are, are going to be missional changes. The culture around us has changed. Uh, regardless of all the internal strife we've had in the church, the culture outside has changed. In many ways, the church is... The culture doesn't care what's going on inside the church 
Hence, we need to remission in order to reach the culture. Yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a very big part of that. Thank you for that. Another question, how would you recommend a disaffiliating church handle pastoral leadership in the transition time between the vote, the ratification, and the time to prepare to join the Global Methodist Church? That may be beyond uh, the scope of our. That may be I'm beyond little, the scope of our webinar today. Yeah, I'm a little foggy on that. I'm not sure if you're asking that because you don't have pastoral leadership for that, or so it, it may be past the scope of what we're talking about. I, if whoever that is, I'd be happy if they want to contact me through the River Network. I'd be happy to come talk about it. That'd also be a great contact for your transitional. Uh, conference um, to to chat with them about what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Chris, Kenny mentions leadership is a 50-50 with pastor driving, but we will leave UMC with facilities, but no pastor. Not only will we have to restart, re-envision, but we have to do it while looking for a pastor to take the wheel. Serious challenge ahead. Is it normal to expect it will take some time after leaving the United Methodist Church to get our feet under us as a new, fresh restart. And then Jeff has a follow-on question with that. It said, Chris, same for us, losing a pastor who won't go with the congregation and building to GMC. How does Lady bridge the leadership gap? We've talked about that a little bit, but to, to come back to that first comment or question, it will take some time after leaving to get your feet under you as a new, fresh start a remissioning as we said yeah and and i would say there is no such thing as normal right now i mean we're we're building the airplane while we're flying and writing the script as we're doing it right um so um but i do believe i I mean you heard me say also uh especially in these initial phases um your the leadership doesn't have to be a seminary trained pastor uh, God may have somebody uh, right there in that core group right now, a lay person who will help lead that group in the, as they move forward and that pastoral search begins. Um, and so I would say, um, don't let it slow you down. Just keep moving. Work with your TCATs, work with your provisional conference leadership, and uh, God will provide. From Bob, I realize your response will be written in sand at low tide, but what is a good ballpark amount of money to assist in the startup of a new plant? I'm glad you gave me the qualifier up front. Um, (laughs) It's all about context. If the Lord has laid it on your heart to begin a house church, and perhaps you won't stay a house church, I mean, the startup costs are almost nothing. Um, I think that uh, a healthy congregation is always in some way going to offer some kind of support for their pastor. Um, How the pastor and the congregation have to figure that out. Um, But it's just so contextual. Um, I, I hate to even throw a number out there, actually. Yeah, it really is subjective to where you where you are and and what your situation is. Mm-hmm. So here's here's one. We are a small church, fifteen to twenty on a good Sunday, who just voted to disaffiliate. Our pastor is staying in the United Methodist Church, so we will be looking for another. Our neighborhood is very mixed: old, young, transient families, drug houses, people newly arrived from other countries, college students, halfway houses, etc. 
Most of our congregation do not live in the neighborhood, but have been at our church most of their lives. We have tried community outreach with little success over the years. We would love for a group to come in and try to revitalize our little church. We feel God's plan for us is not done, but we are so tired. Most of us are 60 plus from trying to keep going with relevance, but holding firm to the Bible. How do we start? Yeah. Prayer. 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 Always a good place to start. Um, right now I'm a part of a group of people that are in a, in a, a time of prayer and fasting, um, asking for God to move in a particular way. Um, I would say prayer and fasting is the place you're going to start. Um, be open to new possibilities. It may not look like what you think it's going to look like, and it may not look like what it did in the past. Um, at the end of the day, what I hope all we, every one of us want for our churches is to reach new people for Jesus Christ and to see their lives changed and transformed and that then change and transform our communities. Um, so um, I think those are just some general things to say of how you start, but um, every context is so different. Uh, I wouldn't want you to walk that walk by yourself. Uh, get a hold of us at the River Network. Let's talk about it. We there may be a way we can uh, help you work through that. We have one question. It's kind of specific, but on bivocational ministry, mm-hmm. who should I contact to discuss bivocational ministry in planting in a large town to the north of where they are? Can you just say a little bit more about bivocational ministry and what kinds of things people might want to think about when they're thinking about that track for starting a new church? Right. Um, I remember being a part-time local pastor and there's no such thing as a part-time pastor. Right. Um, however, there's times that we do have to work to feed our families and provide for our, uh, subsistence, um, until such time, if such time, uh, the church, it can, uh, completely pay you. Um, I believe there are certain careers and vocations that might be more amenable to a person being a pastor. Um, I think uh, so. some particular situations, I haven't really thought this through. I, I would want a job if I was bivocational that would have a set schedule so that I could schedule my other time. Uh, and not have to continually juggle those um, responsibilities. Um, I'd want a job that is going to provide for myself and my family. Sometimes that means, uh, you know, if you're married, your spouse works also. Um, I just, I think the possibilities are endless, um, but um, there's a lot of people that are bivocational. Um, I believe probably in every, any conference in the UMC, you're going to have probably a lot of bivocational pastors. We always have. And I think that's a good opportunity for pastors who've been in full-time ministry to seek some coaching around mm-hmm. what that would look like. Cause even how to prepare yourself for the marketplace, mm-hmm. preparing your resume uh, for the marketplace, because you do have a lot of marketable skills. It's just a matter of making sure that, you're able to to market those well uh, to to the outside community. 
and uh, and talk to others who who are doing it. We have one here. Patricia says I've been bivocational for many years. There are people who are doing it, and they can be very helpful in the process. Well, Kenny, this has been really really helpful, and we want to thank you for your time this evening. Again, if you want to get connected to the River Network, it's therivernetwork.org. Any other resources you'd recommend for people if they want to pick up a book or anything like that to start reading? Oh, it's according to where you are, right? It all comes back to context. Um, I would say start with the WCA. That's a great resource. Talk, talk, talk to your TCATs or your provisional conference leadership. <laughs> they're gonna. They have a list of resources uh, that they're compiling right now. I guarantee you, um, r- the River Network is always available to talk to you. Um, it may take us a day or two to get back to you, but we're always happy to talk. Um, I, I'm just start there. I could make a list as long as both arms, I guess. But let's start there. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, yeah. thanks, Kenny, and thank you for joining us for this webinar. This is the first of four webinars we're doing for uh, WCA Pathways. Thursday night, January 25th, this coming Thursday at 7 p.m., we'll have another webinar, Pathways into the Global Methodist Church. Angela Pleasance, who is the Global Methodist Church's Director of Clergy and Church Relations, will join us to discuss the process for pastors and churches to join the Global Methodist Church, how the new denomination is connecting open pastoral appointments with available clergy, how benefits will work in the new denomination, and a host of other issues. I know a lot of you have been contacting Angela. This is a great opportunity for her to answer a lot of questions. So bring your questions for her Thursday night, 7 o'clock. We'll send out the Zoom link to that webinar uh, here in the next day or so. Probably tomorrow it will go out. And then on the 2nd of February, we'll have our next, our third webinar on dealing with the fallout. Licensed therapist Joel Watts will guide us through a discussion about how to handle conflict in your local church, no matter how the disaffiliation vote went, and how to take care of yourself in times of stress and uncertainty. And then our last webinar will be on February 9th, about remaining in the UMC, we'll have a panel to talk about those who will remain behind in the UMC, either by choice or by necessity, how to uh, adjust, adjust to that new reality in an old system. So those will all be sent out to you if you have joined our email list. If you're not on our email list, you can join us, wcapathways at gmail.com. We will send you the link to each webinar about 24 hours before they begin. And you can join us here on Zoom. All of these sessions are being recorded and posted on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, which you can find on any podcast platform. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back here again next time.